All right, we're starting our class on spirit-filled preaching, and we're looking at number four of seven, the imagination. The imagination. Okay, creating your sermons, you must make the best use of the imagination. Turn me to First Chronicles twelve thirty-two. First Chronicles chapter twelve in your Bibles, verse thirty-two. First Chronicles chapter twelve, verse thirty-two. You ever listen to certain speakers, and you wonder why it's some speakers are more interesting to listen to than other speakers? Do you ever wonder why that's so? The difference between certain speakers, why they're more inter- interesting than others, because certain speakers use, use a better use of the imagination or illustration within the sermons. And as only as we help people to fully understand through illustration, a better picture that God is love, through illustration or imagination, then and only then can we really affect the hearers within the people, within the congregation, the people listening to you. Okay, so... I want to look at you, the story here of the sons of Issachar. And before we begin, let us pray. Father, as the word is open, help us to see what you want us to learn in this lesson. We ask, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, this is important. Imagination is so crucial to how you make a presentation. First Chronicles 12, verse 32. Can somebody read that, please? What did the sons of Issachar have? Okay, stop. The sons of Issachar, the children of Issachar, they had understanding of the what? What does it say? Times. So the understanding of the times. So they understood, they were connected with the current culture. Are you following that? Follow me. They understood the current culture. They understood if they drop, they were living here today and you dropped the term postmodern. They would know what postmodern was. They were connected with the times. And what is the purpose of why, what was the purpose of them understanding the times that they lived in and understanding the current culture of the times? What, what was the purpose of that? To know what? What does the Bible say? That understanding of the times to what? Why? To have knowledge of what Israel Okay. To not, what's the specific words of the Bible? What does it say? That understanding of the times, what? To what? To know what Israel needs to do. And we're spiritual Israel. In other words, so that God's spiritual Israel, God's church will know what to do. God's church cannot be hidden in a mountain and secluded in a cave and not have a clue what the current culture is going through, right? If you become detached from society, you don't know how to reach society. So the sons of Issachar, they knew how to reach the people. They knew what the church needed to do. Why? Because they knew what... They knew the times they were living in. They knew the current culture. They knew about the renaissance that's going on right now in our church, right? Within the current contemporary culture. They knew about retro. and They knew about postmodern. They knew about all these things. And because they, they do these things, they know how to reach the people. If you, you can't take yourself away from the world and detach and make only Adventist friends. And what happens is you become and you create your own bubble and you get... Sooner or later, you become out of touch with the society and the world. You need to have friends in the world. 
That's why Jesus said you need to be in the world, but not off the world, right? He didn't say you need to come out of the world and not off the world. No, he said be in the world, but not off. In other words, be in the world, have non-Adventist friends, know what's going on out there, but don't do what they do, right? That's hard. Don't fall into sin, right? Don't sin. That's harder because we want to take the easy way. Hey, I don't want to uh, drop off all my friends, all my family, all my workers. Now you want to talk to them, just talk to them about Jesus and, and turn them off on purpose so I'll never have to talk to them again, you know? That's not how the Bible says. You need to have, understand the times. You must be in the world, but not off the world. So you're, you're in the world. Okay, now notice, notice what it says here. So in other words, we're going to use imagination and stories and illustrations in the Bible I mean, in real life, to help explain the Bible. Now, the, the Bible is one big story, right? So why would you want to use illustrations and stories if the Bible is, has a lot of stories already in it? What's the purpose? Why do I want to tell a story to make my point of what I learned in the Bible if the Bible has many stories already in it? What's the point? The Bible is four to 6,000 years old. Okay, so why would I tell a story then? Ah, for what purpose then? To bring the message to the now. Is that not true? I can tell a story about Gideon, right? About, like today. I can tell a story about Gideon and not depending upon the word and asking for signs and God met him where he's at. But could you not also relate to me better when I told you that I did the very same thing? I didn't depend upon the word of God. I need to depend upon signs and miracles and wonders because my faith was weak because I didn't fully depend upon the word yet, right? Didn't you relate better to what I went through? than what Gideon went through. That's why you tell stories, to relate to the now. Why? So you know what, it, that's why you need to connect to the now. That's why, just like the sons of Issachar, so you understand the times now, so you know what we need to do. And you need to use illustrations and imagination for the use of now. People love to hear stories. The postmodern mind loves stories. In other words, the younger generation, they love stories. If you can tell a story, you're going to grab their attention, especially... Even older people like stories. Isn't that true? Is that true? No, not older people like stories. Not only older people, but young people, they especially love stories. That's the mindset. They love narrative preaching. You're preaching stories. And if you can tell, you may not have to do, you may be teaching or preaching a topical sermon, like a topic, but that's okay because you can all share a current contemporary story that relates to that topic that actually they were going to grab and listen to. My daughter always listens to the stories I you know, I tell in my preaching, she perks up whenever she listens, you know. Here's a story. Okay, turn to Luke chapter 12, verse 27. Luke chapter 12, verse 27. How did Christ preach? Luke 12, verse 27. Could somebody read Okay, so what illustration is Jesus using in the story? What illustration? What is he talking about? What is lily. So he's using an actual illustration out there. He looked outside, he saw a lily, and said, that's a good idea, I'm going to add it to my sermon while he's teaching, right? So that's what he used to do. He used to look and see illustrations, and he's telling a current story about, you know, he told about the shepherd, the seed, the sheep. And I want to say that when he was teaching, he would see like, 
you know, shepherd way in a background, and then he see that, and then you, he used that very same example he's seen at that current time and tell that story about the shepherd. And the soul went to soul, right? He's telling stories while he's, he's teaching. I share my testimony today, right? Very rarely do you lose people on a testimony. Why? Because it's a story. But if you give me a doctoral dissertation and you have no illustrations, no, no story, no imagination, you're going to lose the people. I can guarantee it. You're going to lose the people. I'm not saying you don't do it. You need to do it because we need to teach the people. But at the same time, if you're going to do that, you must use illustrations, stories, and the imagination. We're going to imagination a little bit later. Okay, now look at the quotation here in your handout about from Councils of the Parents, Teachers, and Students, page 178 on the bottom. It says here, In his teaching, Christ drew his illustrations from the great treasury of household ties and affections and from what? So he told stories about how the home life was, how the family relationship was. You know, something about family, talk about the relationship, it tugs at hearts, right? Trials, hardships of the home, broken homes, a child, a son commits suicide. There's something there that really grabs people. And that's why you need to use illustration. Like Christ did the same thing. He used household. He talked about the home and nature. Thoughts, questions? Okay, Matthew 13, 11. How did Jesus use parables? Matthew 13, verse 11. Matthew 13, verse 11. Um, he answered and said to them, Because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. Okay, 1311. Uh, okay, be a little extra. Oh, that's, uh, you don't have to. So, Jesus answered said unto them, to the disciples, you have been given to know what? What did he tell them they were able to do? To know the what? Okay, so you know the mysteries of God, but unto the Pharisees what? It is what? Not given. So Jesus said, I tell parables for you, but you will understand it. But I tell parables that are so straight, the truth, that if they were to hear it, they were to try to kill me. Therefore, I tell it in parables so... And, and they don't understand what I'm, try- what I'm sharing when I'm preaching in parables. So another reason why Jesus used parables was, look at the quotation from Christ's Object Lessons, page 22. In parables, he rebuked the hypocrisy and wicked works of those who occupied high positions in the church, and in figurative language clothed truth of so cutting a character that had it been spoken in direct denunciation, they would not have listened to his words and would speedily have put an end to his ministry. In other words, you speak parables when you have a straight truth to soften the blow, right? And the same way when you teach or preach, you use illustrations, you use stories in a way to soften the blow, especially if you have a hard, tough message. Now you think of the story of King David, right? Remember the prophet Nathan came to him? And what did he do first? Did he tell him that you committed adultery with Bathsheba, you murdered her husband, Uriah? Did he tell him that? What did he do? What did he use? He told him a story. He got David to buy in. 
You know, David will say, wow, that's a wicked man that did that thing in that story that you just told me about. And then what did he do? Then he turned it on top of King David. And then King David took it because it wasn't so cutting. And he humbled himself before the Lord and repented. Do you see how the method the Bible uses, right? Godly men use to re- rebuke people. And that's how the method we need to use when we're preaching, right? Okay, let's go to the use of imagination. Oh, you can. That was accidentally put in there. That was a mistake, actually. <laughs> um, yeah, let's go to John chapter 7, verse 45 and 46. Uh, now, I'm really grateful for Aaron and Janie. I, I wouldn't be able to do all this because they do all this for me. <laughs> because with the three classes a week, I mean, it's hard. But I praise God for the blessing they've been. John 7, verse 45 and 46. Uh, what was Christ's method for reaching the heart? Can somebody read that, please? The reason why no one ever spoke like Jesus because no one ever taught or preached like him ever before. In other words, Jesus used a method of teaching and preaching that was never used before. Now, let's look at that, the method that they use. Um, notice how Jesus, look at the quotations here. I thought it was pretty powerful. Uh, let me read that to you. This, this is a powerful quotation. It says, He had tact to meet the prejudiced minds. And surprise them, this is Jesus now, surprise them with what? What is that word? Illustrations, Illustrations that what? Won their attention. Jesus didn't preach his doctrinal sermons, right? Jesus used illustrations, he used stories, he illustrated what he meant so that people could understand what he was trying to say. Not only that, this, this is powerful. Through the, what is that? Imagination. Through the what? Imagination. He reached the heart. Do you see that? Through the imagination, he reached the heart. His illustrations were taken from the things of daily life. And although they were simple, it wasn't complicated preaching, although they were simple, they had in them a wonderful depth of meaning. I thought that's pretty powerful. That Jesus used, in other words, Jesus used imagination within his preaching. Now, if you do a study in the Word of God and the Spirit of Prophecy, there's a negative imagination and there's a positive imagination. But this is because of, you know, casting out all imaginations, right? The Bible says from your mind. Right? Negative, that's bad imagination. But there's an imagination in the, in the Bible and the Spirit of Prophecy that is good to use, that Jesus used in order to reach his hearers and in the heart of the people. He used the imagination, he, he painted the picture. What he wanted them to see in their minds, what Jesus saw in his mind, he painted that same picture within the minds of his hearers. Right? And that's what you want to do. You want to paint that picture within their minds. Look at the next quotation, page 83 of Desire of Ages. It says, It would be well for us to spend a thoughtful hour each day in contemplation of the life of Christ. We should take it point by point and let the, what is that word? Imagination grasp each scene, 
especially the closing ones, as we thus dwell upon his great sacrifice for us, there are three things that's going to happen by having our imagination worked. Our confidence in him will be more constant. Number two, our love will be quickened. And number three, we shall be more deeply imbued by his spirit. So those three things, if you use imaginations within your sermons, those things will happen, especially in the use of imagination of the love of God on the cross of Calvary. The people we're hearing, they're going to be imbued with the Holy Spirit, right? They're going to be have a higher confidence in God. Their love is going to be um, waking up, quickened, right? By you using the imagination within your sermons also. You see, humans are visual. And when you're preaching up there, you're dealing with people who are tired, you're dealing with people who are frustrated, you're dealing with people who are weary, right? They had a bad week, and then all of a sudden you're up there and you have no more than three to four minutes to grab their attention, right? Is that not true? Otherwise, you're going to lose them the whole sermon. So you have to, from the beginning, you have to give a good introduction and using, not necessarily a story illustration, but using the paint a picture with imagination, which are words, to actually draw them into the sermon. Otherwise, you may lose them, right? Or you need to have illustrations and imagination throughout the whole presentation. Now, we should always... Um, Practice the use of imagination. So look at the next quotation here. Uh, this is from Child Guidance. Do you see that on page 488? Let me read it to you. It says here, this is a bold part. Talking about the children. Their minds should be filled with stories of life of the Lord and their imaginations encourage in picturing the glories of the world to come. So we should encourage our young people to use imagination for good. Imagination is a good thing. The definition of imagination is forming mental images of what is not actually there. In other words, the way you preach and the words you use, you're able to paint in the people's mind a a picture that actually brings them to that very situation that they can actually see themselves there. That's what you want to do, right, when you're preaching. You want to draw them in that they're actually caught up in what? You're saying. Now, um, imagination in language. Look at the next quotation. This is a powerful quote from Councils of Parents, Teachers, and Students, page 216. It says here, He who knows how to use the English language fluently and correctly can exert a far greater influence than the one who is unable to express his thought readily and clearly. In other words, you must master if you want to become a good speaker, you must master the English language. You must use words that you don't normally use. You must grow your vocabulary. Simple ways, don't use big words that no one can understand, but you must use, um, you must use uh, certain words that you haven't used before in the past. And I recommend using a dictionary and a thesaurus um, when, you're, when you're writing out your sermons. Let me look at some words here. What you need to use are nouns. What is the definition of a noun? Does anyone know? (laughs) Okay, person, place, or thing. Very good. So, person, place, or thing, right? Which is, it identifies, right? Kit. What about pronouns? It has to do with what? Nouns. 
Okay, identifies the nouns, right? So it identifies, helps identify nouns, right? He, she, or if it's a it, right? And then you have um, adjectives. What do adjectives do? Describes nouns, right? And then what about verbs? What do verbs do? Okay, action, right? And then what about adverbs? So it describes verbs, right? Right, so it describes verbs. And then prepositions. Are oh, you have it down in your paper there? Preposition? Is it down there? Okay. So, so it shows relationship, right? Show relationship. And then conjunctions, right? They continue action. And then interjections, um, they show surprise, right? Prepositions are like in, on, at, or to. Those are the words to bring on the end. Conjunctions like and or but, right? And the interjection, like this shows surprise, like wow, it's not even a sentence structure, but this kind of interject those words in there. So you need to improve your vocabulary, use dictionary and thesaurus. What I recommend is that you write out your sermons. This is what I do. I write out my sermons word for word. Not, for, not to preach, because I'm going to show you on delivery. Don't preach word for word. The purpose, you're going to, you should never preach word for word. Never. Read, never read your sermon. We're going to go into, into delivery. But the purpose I write word for word is not for to me to preach word to word. The purpose of me to um, write it out word for word is to develop my, um, my ability to use the imagination. That's the whole purpose of me writing it out. Um, to develop that skill, that ability to use, paint a picture in the mind. Use words I haven't used before. Um, if you become a good writer, you can become a good preacher because you're using different type of ways to write out the sermon. Let's give an example. Let's look at a phrase... Remember that woman, they say it was Mary was caught in adultery or thrown in front of Jesus? And let's look at the phrase, Jesus forgave Mary. Now you look at that phrase and you're thinking, Everyone knows Jesus forgave Mary. There's no big deal about that statement. I said Jesus forgave Mary. I mean, it's not really a big thing, right? It is Jesus forgave Mary. But if you use the words of the language to try and create, give me some. Now, Jesus is actually a verb or a noun. What is that? Okay, it's a noun. Okay, so now describe that noun with adjectives. Tell me what kind of Jesus. What do you see? Now, you have to use a, your imagination now. We want to paint a picture in people's mind. What kind of picture? You have to put yourself in the scene. What? what what do you see over there? What, what can way can we describe the situation in people's minds of how Jesus, give me an adjective on what, how Jesus is looking and feeling and thinking in his mind. Go ahead. Okay, love. No, give me an adjective for Jesus. What kind of Jesus? Is it meaning, ugly? I mean, what is it? Compassionate Jesus. So now you have compassionate Jesus. Give me some other words. What else? Compassionate Jesus forgave Mary. See, coming to life now. It's not just Jesus forgave Mary. Compassionate Jesus. What else? Forgiving Jesus forgave Mary. He's a forgiving Jesus, right? What else? Give me some other words. Merciful Jesus forgave Mary. Is he not a merciful God? Is he not? Forgiving God. 
compassion to God. What else? Give me some words. What, what do you see when you, you look at this picture? You're there, or you're Mary, and you've seen him, you being forgiven. What, what are you seeing is Jesus? I mean, what is he to you? Is it just Jesus? What is he? What kind of Jesus is he? Okay, he's loving Jesus. I see you're getting there. You're loving, merciful, right? Forgiving, right? Alpha Omega. So you see this? You're using act. So now you're describing compassionate. She's coming to life now. Compassionate Jesus. I have a compassionate Jesus that forgives, and he forgave Mary, right? Compassionate Jesus forgave Mary. Now look at that. Let's look at the verb now. Forgave. What kind of words are you gonna throw there? What? Loving mercies. How did he forgive? Patiently forgave, or impatiently forgiven, or was it patiently forgiven? Patiently forgiven, patiently compassionate Jesus, patiently forgave Mary. Are you see, I mean, it's like there's some other words that you could throw in there. What? What? Sorry. Oh, utterly. Jesus utterly forgave Mary, right? Right? Completely, right? Jesus completely forgave Mary. Do you see the different words you can use? So now you, you've seen, you're drawing out this illustration is coming more to life. What about Mary? What kind of Mary are you seeing there? Desperate Mary. She's desperate. What else? New life. Okay, describe her Mary. Jesus forgave desperate Mary. Jesus forgave what? Beaten down Mary, right? Depressed Mary. Jesus forgave depressed Mary. A depressed Mary. Do you see that? What else? Compassionate Jesus utterly forgave a depressed Mary. Are you following me? You're describing a whole big picture. You're going... You're painting the picture. What do you see in your mind is what you want. If you just want to get, put, you're not there just to portray this information about to prove text and to prove what is right and what's wrong. You want to paint a picture in people's minds so that they can get a grasp of what you've seen, what you've been studying about, so they can put themselves there and really believe that they're there when you're telling the story within that sermon, right? That's what you want to do within the series. So improve your vocabulary in what you do. Use a thesaurus. Write out your sermons word for word, even though you're not going to preach there. Okay? Now let's turn to Psalm 39, verse. Okay. Let's, um, let's do another illustration. At the tomb of Jesus, to use the imagination in preaching, you must portray how it is, how it was there, and how it looked like. What do you see? What do you hear there? What do you smell there? What do you feel there, right? What do you taste there? Tell me, what do you, what do you hear when there are, they took down the body of Jesus and took him to the grave? What, what do you hear? Put yourself there. What are you hearing? Think, close your eyes. What do you, what do you guys hear there? Crying? What else do you hear? Calling for help. How about wrapping the body with a cloth? Do you hear that? 
You think he hears someone praying, maybe? Think maybe someone sing a, a sad funeral song, maybe? Think that's possible? Okay, now tell me, what do you see? Tell me what you see. What do you see at the tomb? The mourning for the Savior. What else do you see? Do you see a big rock in front of the tomb? Do you see spices? Do you see a, several friends hovering around the body? What do you smell? What do you smell at the tomb? Okay. Okay, the herbs. So you hearing? Are you smelling spices there? Right, burial tomb spices or herbs or perfumes? Right. What else do you smell? Can you smell death? You think? Smell death, or even symbolically smell death? Okay, open your eyes. Do you smell? Do you see all these things? You're. What do you feel when you're there? Right. What do you? You have to describe the the scene. You know, I work. I rework my sentences over and over. I mean, I spent like, I mean, just on the. So I don't do it as much as often my introductions and conclusions. But I spent serious sometimes one paragraph introduction. I've spent in the past an hour to two hours on one paragraph. Can you imagine that? One to two hours on one paragraph, the introduction. Just to make sure, I don't do it anymore because I put more in my content and I'm focusing more upon my content now. But before I used to do that, my introduction and my conclusions and my appeals, I'm going to get into that. But do you see how that using the, the feedings and the senses to actually describe what you see? Use the senses, describe what you see, describe what you hear, describe what you smell, describe what you taste, describe what you're thinking, describe what you're feeling. You must paint. The picture that you see in your mind, you must take that picture and you must paint it before the people so they can see exactly what you see. Not just intellectual passing down a sense of knowledge. You want to paint that picture of bringing them there. You want to use the imagination, as Ellen White said, that Jesus used to reach the heart. That's the only way you can reach the heart. You must use the imagination. Okay, Psalm 39, verse 3. Let's go there. Psalm 39, verse 3 in your Bibles. How do I preach with fire? Psalm 39, verse 3. Could somebody read that, please? David's heart was hot within him, right? And says, why I was musing. Do you know what that word musing means? Contemplating, meditating, reflecting upon. So, in other words, while he reflected and meditated upon the word, what happened when he meditated upon the thoughts that God gave to him? What happened? What does the Bible say? Okay, the fire burned. In other words, the fire burned within his heart. If you, want to have, if you want to preach with fire that burn within your heart, you must meditate upon the message God gave to you. You must reflect upon it. Not only write out a sermon, okay, good, and you present it. You must write it out 
And then think about the thoughts, hmm, and meditate upon it, and reflect upon those thoughts. And as you think about it, guess what's going to happen? It's going to burn in your soul. You know, when I preach, I, I, I feel the message when I'm preaching. I feel like, I feel that what I'm, I believe what I'm, I'm preaching. And then, because I, before that, I meditated on it in nature. I thought about those thoughts. And then the more I thought about it, the more it burned within me. And then it says here in verse 3, then, in other words, after you meditate upon it, and after the fire burned, then I spoke with my tongue. In other words, then I spoke with my tongue. Then I preached the sermon. In other words, don't preach the sermon until you first had the fire burning within you. And before you first, before that, meditated and reflected upon that thoughts that God gave you, the word of God, right? Is that clear? So you got to, before you preach, you must have the message within your heart, in your soul. You got to reflect and meditate and think upon um, those things that God, the message God has given to you to present. Look at the quotation here. Notice what, how the religious leaders of Jesus' time, how they preached. Notice what it says here. I'm going to read it to you from Desire of Ages, page 253. It says here, talking about Jesus, his voice was as music to those who had listened to the monotonous tones of the rabbis. How did the religious teachers of Jesus' day, how did they preach? How's a monotone? Not like a melody. What is it? Flat. In other words, Jesus died for our sins, and that's why I love him so much. Are you following me? That's how they preach. That's how they preach. Huh? You can't follow, yeah. But that's how the religious leaders taught in their day, right? They're just monotone. In other words, I love Jesus so much that he died for me on the cross of Calvary. Do you see that? In other words, that's how the religious leaders used to preach the messages. They said, but while his teaching was simple, notice what it says here. Jesus, he spoke as one having what? What does it say there? Authority. This characteristic set his teaching in contrast with all others. Listen to this. The rabbis and religious leaders spoke with doubt and hesitancy, as if the scriptures might be interpreted to mean one thing or exactly the opposite. In other words, was Jesus, when he preached, was he confident in what he said? Or was he like wishy-washy? What could mean this? No, but, but if you look at the original Hebrew and you break it down here, you know, it could be logos, it could mean word, or it could be, you know, that. Was he breaking it down like that and confusing the listeners when he was breaking down? Did he preach like that? Not like Jesus, huh? Oh, yeah, Jesuits. But do not a lot of preachers today preach in a monotone and without any power and belief and confidence today? Is that not true? It says here, the rabbi spoke with doubt and hesitancy as if the scriptures might be interpreted to mean one thing or exactly the opposite. The hearers were daily involved in greater uncertainty. They were uncertain when they heard his sermon. But Jesus taught the scriptures as of unquestionable authority. Whatever his subject, it was presented with what? What is that word? Power. As if his words could not be what? Controverted. Do you see that? So when Jesus spoke, he spoke with confidence. He spoke with power. It wasn't as if he was wishy-washy and it could mean this and totally the opposite. He spoke as if he believed everything he said. Okay? Thoughts? Questions? Ideas? Do you see that? Okay, turn to me to Jeremiah chapter 20, verse 89. Jeremiah chapter 20, verse 89. 
So may we read that, please. Even though Jeremiah had stopped preaching, what happened? Jeremiah 20, verse 89. For when I spoke, I cried out. I shouted violence and thunder, because the word of the Lord was made to me. The reproach and the derision daily. Then I said, I will not make mention of him, nor speak any more in his name. But his word was in my heart, like the burning fire, set up in my bones. I was weary of holding it fast, and I could not. Okay, what's happening in this story? Jeremiah is saying here what? What happened? What first happened in verse 8? What happened? He, what was he doing? He was what? He's spoken. He's crying out. He's preaching, right? So he's preaching a message, and then not only is he preaching, um, but he's crying out violence and spoil and plunder, right? He's preaching the word. He's cutting, cutting the word, right? Then it says, because of the word that was made, what happened? What did, how did people react to his message? Positively or negatively? Okay, negative, right? You see that? So it's negative. So they didn't like it. So because they reacted negatively, what did he say? Then he said, because of the act negative, what he's going to do now? He's what? He's going to stop preaching, right? He's not going to preach that message anymore. He's not going to share anymore. But because his word was in his heart, it was in the heart as a burning what? Fire shut up in his what? Bones. And then he preached again. In other words, when the word of God is in your heart, you're going to preach the word, right? You're going to preach with all of your might what you really believe in. Now, we're not to create emotion when we preach, but the emotion that we preach is a natural, natural emotion that comes out of our heart when we preach, right? Okay, look at the quotation here, the last quotation I want to share with you from Councils of Parents, Teachers, and Students. This is uh, Ellen White, and she wrote something that happened here, a story I thought was pretty powerful. Listen to this. Um, an archbishop is a religious leader, and then an uh, actor, called somebody who's an actor, right? He knows what it says here. On a certain occasion when Betterton, the celebrated actor, was dining with Dr. Sheldon, Archbishop of Canterbury. In other words, so you have, you have an actor here and a church leader. And a church leader turned to the actor and said to the actor, Mr. Betterton, tell me why is it that you actors, think about in modern day times, think about Hollywood actors. He, say a, a church leader asked, like a pastor asked, a conference president asked a actor and say, why is it Arnold Schwarzenegger that you guys preach with such, you affect your audiences so powerfully by speaking of things that's not real, that's imaginary. He's asking that to the Arnold Schwarzenegger. Can you imagine that? And then notice how he answers, Betterton responds, my Lord replied Betterton. This is what Ellen White says. With due submission to your grace, permit me to say that the reason is plain. It all lies in the power of what? Enthusiasm. We, on the stage in Hollywood, speak of things imaginary as if they were what? Real. While you in the pulpit speak of things real as if they are what? Imaginary. Is that not true? I don't know about you, but I've sat in presentations where I listen and I'm like, I don't know, I, I feel like they don't really believe, it seems like they don't even believe what they're saying the way they're telling the story, right? I mean, you think about the, the how about the children's story, when people are like in children's story, and they're telling the story, look 
and there was a little cat, and it's so animated, and they're excited, and the cat was walking, and then it went jump, right? And they're telling the story, and the dog came in and chased him, and it ran. And the excitement, and it's not the children enthralled in that illustration and that story, and they're only not gripped and grabbed and pulled into that story. But then, shouldn't we also, shouldn't we not take these children's story people and put them on the pulpit and do the preaching for us? Because are they not using the imagination and actually do not, are they not the ones that really believe in what they're teaching and what they're preaching up there? You speak of things, we speak of things imaginary, not real, as if they were real, and you speak of things that are real as if it's imaginary. And so, is that, should not we also preach with power and believe what we're doing? Amen. Amen. You gotta have a good, you gotta have a good message because you gotta believe in the message. You can't be all excited about fluff, right? You gotta have a, you gotta have a message that you actually are excited about, and you can tell when people fake it. You know, it's not real, right? Is it not true that you share things that you are passionate about, right? If you're telling about, you know, some women that tell a story, oh, I went to the swap meet, and I went to the garage sale, and I found the perfect dress, and it was only $10, it's easy for them to describe using the human language the, and use the imagination to paint a picture to get you excited, right? What about the basketball game and Michael Jordan when he went for the finals and he went past and he faked this way, right? And he did a move and he actually made a dunk and he won the game, right? You, can ex- you get so passionate about it. What about this past Sunday? What was this past Sunday? What was there on past Sunday? <laughs> Super Bowl. You put a seven-day Adventist in front of the Super Bowl and how does he act? Right on! Woo! Praise God! Woohoo! Right? You put that same Seventh-day Adventist in front of that pulpit, and how does he act? We must love God with all of our hearts, minds, soul, and strength. My question is, where is their heart? Where's the heart? Where, where, are they, where do they really love? Where, what, is the, what is the real passion in life? Really, is this an outgrowth of where the heart is, right? Where's the pa- is there passion in the Super Bowl that they're going to forget about in a year or so or next week, right? Or is there passion in the things of God? What do they love more in this world? That's my question I ask. You will get excited about what you especially like. When we give a presentation, we must have fire in our bones you got to have a passion for the subject you're presenting, right? you got to have a passion. And people will see whether you have a passion or you don't have a passion. you got to love your message. And that message must be infused in your heart. It must transform your life. You must be a new person. So my challenge is that you will learn the English language to do your best ability. And you will paint the picture in people's mind of use of imagination like Jesus did to get them to see what you see. And also that when you preach, you preach, preach with a passion that will come alive to show the great love that God has for his lost people, right? Amen. Amen. So, um, with that, I want to...